were to just go watch the first Avengers movie, just just decided that I'm gonna go watch this movie. It's a good superhero movie, but of course you're missing out on character backgrounds, character motivations, references to previous movies. But if you did watch all those movies, watching the Avengers feels so rewarding because you're seeing characters butting heads, characters that you understand their motivations and where they're coming from, seeing different storylines come together. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book and realized, wait a minute, this character looks familiar? The Marvel Cinematic Universe is probably the most obvious example of a shared universe, where characters and events can influence each other across multiple books, movies, and shows. But that's not all. Star Wars, Middle Earth, The Wizarding World, and even Stephen King's universe all involve multiple independent stories that share a common world. What does it take to write a shared universe? Matthew C. Brown returns to the podcast to discuss the joys and challenges of writing within a set construct. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining me again. The last time you were with me, we talked about problematic protagonists, complex protagonists, the good, the bad, the ugly. What were your thoughts on the experience? And you were also my first guest. I know. And I was so very honored to be your first guest. And it was just a lot of fun. You know, I mean, I can do, you know, I could talk shop all day about just writing and superheroes, especially. And, uh, but, you know, we touched upon a lot of different subjects too. Um, you know, but that's been great. And it's been great to also just hear uh, all your other episodes of the podcast. I've been listening to all of them and it's so great to hear a bunch of different voices on a bunch of different topics. Uh, it's just a, just a great way to get the community together. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it as well. I think about my thoughts when we first started planning that episode to where we are now. And I'm just really excited to have been able to get that kind of um, input from people and collaboration. Uh, and I think that's a great part about our writing community is that everyone is so open and friendly with each other. Absolutely. So today you and I are talking about shared universes. And it's, it was funny when I first came to you uh, with the list and I didn't even know what it was technically called. I think I called it universe building or something like that. And I was trying to land my feet on what I actually meant by that. And I know that you knew uh, based off of my description, but when I was trying to formalize uh, the title for this podcast, I was like, what does it mean when you have, you know, is it crossover? Is it lots of, you know, I'm looking at Marvel and then I landed on shared universe. So um, I'm going to read the definition that I got off the internet and we can discuss uh, what we think about that definition and what we think shared universes are. Sounds good. So a shared universe is a fictional universe from a set of creative works with individual stories that can stand alone, but can fit into the joint development of the storyline, characters, or world of the overall project. According to tvtropes.org, though, 
as a rule, simply having a crossover is not quite enough to qualify as a shared universe. We need to look at major events that can be referenced across different projects or characters are mentioned as having their own adventures somewhere else. So what do you think of that definition? Um, I, I kind of see where it's getting at because there are sometimes, because uh, you know, I can see the difference between a crossover uh, because that might happen, uh, what's a good example? That could happen in two, so, oh, yeah, actually, great example. I don't know if you remember uh, way back in, like, the Disney Channel days when there was, like, Aladdin, the animated series, uh, mm-hmm. Hercules, and there was actually a crossover crossover episode where Hercules and Aladdin, like, met, and, like, Hades and Jafar were, like, doing a scheme. Oh, yeah. I do you remember that? Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a shared universe, per se, because they're two very different nothing is really happening in the same world you know ancient greece and agrabah aren't really in the same place and they don't really reference each other at all but they just had a special i don't know how many episodes it was it was maybe one or two but special couple episodes where the two characters met i think they did something like that also on nickelodeon like jimmy neutron and uh, timmy turner like did a crossover for jimmy neutron and fairly odd parents but you know they don't they don't reference each other otherwise in their own individual shows or they don't take place in the same kind of world or reference each other which i would say yeah that that is more of a that is more of a uh, strictly a crossover but not a crossover within a shared universe well it makes me think about fan service versus plotting and storyline structures i guess so how how would you distinguish between the two whether something is purely for fan service or something that is an overarching story uh well i think you know using the mcu is a pretty good example i mean i think using the mcu is we're probably going to be referencing that for most of this podcast i think it's just the most famous example uh and of course that in turn is based on just the comic books in general which we're always doing crossovers and big events and you know, that's always its own shared world that was doing that for decades uh but i think what the differences between fan service i mean fan service can mean so many different things uh fan service i mean sometimes fan service is just that oh yeah you're having a character show up and you know people get excited about it uh which that's you know sometimes it is it is fan service in the world can work uh, i think it's really a matter of if it uh if it actually feels like it works in the context of whatever viewing i'm trying to think of a good example but just you know if we have a you know i think nowadays with marvel there's so i mean nowadays there's crossovers all the time everyone shows up everywhere Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's that's not that and thinking about where this was you know a couple years you know 10 years ago like this is crazy that we have all this stuff so it kind of is i think it used to be considered oh yeah someone showing up somewhere is kind of just fan service and now i think they've kind of got it as such where there's so many different characters who have their own stories and storylines that they get to just show up. And, uh, you know, they're already, a lot of times they're already fleshed out. They've already had their own adventures. And if they show up somewhere else, uh, it doesn't necessarily, it might be fan service. Sure. Because of course, yeah, we always love to see, I don't know, an Avenger show up somewhere in some other storyline, but because we've spent so much time with that character, they've already been, developed getting them to see in a different context from a different point of view i think that sometimes uh you know 
that makes it a little more than just fan service. Yeah, it seems like a shared universe will have crossovers, but a crossover may not necessarily mean a shared universe. Exactly. So what are some examples of shared universes that you really enjoy? So apart from uh, the MCU, uh, I actually mentioned this last time, but Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere uh, is one of my favorites. And I haven't read every book, but uh, basically, if you haven't heard, uh, the Cosmere consists of Brandon Sanderson's uh, two big series, Mistborn and the Stormlight Archive. Uh, and there's a couple other books that are uh, in there as well. But what I really like about it is that uh, the books are connected right as of right now. They're mostly connected in smaller ways and they're not, it's not quite the same as Marvel where, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, you got to read this, you got to watch this movie and then you got to watch this movie and then you got to watch this movie before you can watch these two movies. And if you want to, you know, it's, it's a lot. And here, you'll notice these different connections uh, or references they'll make. Like, for example, there's this one character uh, who's named Hoyd, uh, or that's one of his names. He's got a couple of different names, and he's what's called a world hopper. And he just kind of shows up in a lot of different books and stories, sometimes under that name, sometimes under a different name. And he's just, he's just showing up. And he oftentimes isn't really a major character, uh, but he shows up, he plays kind of a supporting role and, uh, and he might reference uh, the events of some other story. And it's a really cool way of just, you know, it, it's cool to think of that there's this guy that's witnessing all this stuff going on. And, you know, for all the characters, the main characters in the book, it's, you know, it's like the fight for the lives. And he's kind of like, oh, that's nothing you should have seen. <laughs> and he'll kind of mention, and it's just kind of, and it's kind of funny, uh, just, hearing it having that guy show up everywhere so does each book have a different main character and story independent of each other uh so yeah the it, what he does he's kind of divided into he actually has it divided up into planetary systems so like the mistborn books have their own planetary system and then the stormlight books have their own system which they don't frequently reference that it's only when certain characters are talking that you know like like the the guy that I just mentioned, uh, the world hopper, will sometimes be talking to these greater powers that be, and he'll and they'll reference different planetary systems. But most of the time, going through—I mean, these are big books. Most of the time, going through the books, that you know, the main characters aren't really talking about all that stuff. I mean, it's kind of like uh, Marvel, like before they got real cosmic, before mm-hmm. they were talking about multiverse, before they were talking about Thanos, you know, and it was all just on Earth. It's like Phil Coulson talking to Iron Man about something going on in the Southwest because yeah, yeah, I think exactly. Thor, yeah. Yeah, and like they don't, and you know, the main characters are just, you know, pretty self-contained. Uh, but then there's a few that may uh, become more aware of the larger overall situation. Uh, but, you know, most of the time, like, if, you know, all these characters are just self-contained within their own series and there's only a very small few that are actually aware of what's going on anywhere else in the universe okay gotcha uh for my list of uh, shared universes i talked about star wars which i feel could be a really big conversation um we could do a whole episode yeah we really could the the whole like of course you have your trilogies right your prequels the originals the sequels then you have what i'm seeing on disney plus 
but you've also had the ones that weren't on before Disney Plus that you had the Clone Wars. And I think there's another animated show. Do you remember what it was called? Uh, Rebels. Yes. Rebel, okay. Rebels. Um, and I haven't had access to all of those. So I'm wondering as this new Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, shows coming out, I think there's a lot of references to those animated shows because I think the actor for Anakin talked about it. And so for me, I'm like, okay, this is a big shared universe. You've had different people touching different parts of the, their products. Then that didn't count the whole books that existed back in the day. Uh, and I think the sequels pulled from those books. I remember people were like, Ray and Kylo, Kylo Ren or Ben or whatever. They're in the books. They're, they're siblings. I don't, I don't know if I'm referencing the right thing. I didn't read it. But after a while, I was like, okay, what do I need to prep myself with to make sure I can continue enjoying this shared universe? Right. Uh, you're, you, and I won't get too deep into it because then we'll get completely sidetracked, but you're not wrong that there were some influences that they pulled from, from the, so, you know, they had, uh, before the sequels came along, they had what they now call, uh, what they now call the Legends uh, canon for Star Wars, which is basically every book and comic book and video game or whatever that came out before the sequels, before Disney acquired Lucasfilm, you know, they had their own established continuity of what happened between the movies or after the movies. Uh, and then when they decided to ditch that continuity, they just made it the Legends canon, uh, which is which makes it sometimes confusing because mm -hmm. you know, there's some things that they do where they uh, do kind of do, do some things that are kind of influenced, but then they've taken some characters. They've just plucked some characters that are complete creations of the Legends and then made them canon again. Like they just put them back in. They're like, oh, oh yeah, this guy was cool. Uh, like they did, they actually had that happen in the Rebels show. Um, but I feel like, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, most of the Star Wars stuff that isn't, uh, that isn't the books, because the books are, there's so many of them. And mm -hmm. I, have, and, you know, I, even, even before the new stuff, I couldn't get to all of them. But uh, I think Star Wars does a good job. And this is what I look for in a lot of shared universes is that it's less that, uh, you feel like you need to watch a lot of stuff beforehand. I mean, obviously, if you're watching the Obi-Wan show, it would help if you've, if you've watched at least Revenge of the Sith. Uh, okay. Otherwise yeah. So you... <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, if you're going to watch that show, I'm going to assume you've watched at least a couple of the movies. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, uh... oh, so for example, in uh, The Mandalorian, uh, I think there's a lot of references to the Clone Wars series. Yeah. Series, but you know, and I've I haven't I haven't watched all of them from start to finish, but I remember watching it and thinking like, oh yeah, it's still good. And really, what it does is, I don't feel lost. Really, it makes me want to go watch and read things about these other characters that are showing up. Okay, gotcha. Uh, that's that's how I feel with a lot of the stuff they've done thus far. That it feels more, it feels less like, oh, I feel like I'm missing out on something, and more like, oh, they're cool. I want to go look stuff up about them. And I think that's really something that. If a shared universe can pull that off, uh, then that's great. What are some other shared universes that you think are really good examples? Uh, <laughs> this one gets a little long-winded, but I love Stephen King's mm -hmm. uh, universe, which is kind of bound together by the Dark Tower series, and that's okay. just like that's a whole different beast in general. But are you uh, talking about the Dark Tower series, or even beyond that, like all so of his books? It, it that's what's complicated because really, I guess you'd say that. Uh, it's just Stephen King's universe uh, because a couple of the different book 
couple of different books reference each other, but I feel like the Dark Tower series is the one that kind of binds it all together because it actually kind of explains the connections between the universes and like it even, you know, touching them upon the multiverse of his stories because there's like different versions of, I don't know, they're, I don't know how much you know about the Dark Tower. Uh, I've read the first two books. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you know that he's, you know that Roland is trying to get to the Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the whole yeah. point of the book is they do a kind of like, you know, it's a kind of a classic kind of journey where he's, you know, there's a destination, main character's trying to get to it. But, you know, they're going a lot of different detours. Uh, and there's a lot of references to Stephen King's other works that show up. I mean, there's entire, you know, most famously, uh, the antagonist, uh, the Men in Black, uh, is Randall Flagg, who we see in The Stand, uh, which is one of Stephen King's most famous pieces, especially following, I think that kind of came into light again with uh, COVID and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, he showed up in, you know, they did two adaptations of The Stand for a miniseries, and, uh, but he, and, you know, Flagg is probably one of his most well-known uh, villains, and he's one of the main villains of that series and he just kind of and they even mention a couple times how he just is showing up in different places just causing problems uh and uh uh, and then there's and even i mean i don't really want to i don't want to spoil too much but it gets really meta later in the books so much so that there are sometimes references to stephen king himself i heard about that yes (laughs) Uh, which, I mean, if any other author tried to do that, I think most people would be just like, oh, come on. But It's I the think, ultimate Mary Sue. But because it's Stephen King, I think he can mm-hmm. get away with it. Yeah, he's very omniscient in, in the world of his books. My one crossover awareness is in 11-22-63, the, the story. Uh, it's, I believe it's a Hulu. Hulu. I think it got turned into a Hulu show. Yeah, I think they did a Hulu series. Okay. Yeah, where a the main character goes back in time to ultimately try to prevent the JFK assassination. And one of the first stops is in the town of Derry, which is the, the location for the It book. And it's what's funny is I haven't I know about the story it. I haven't read the book it. Um, so I, at first I didn't understand it in the very subtle references, but it was still scary. Like I didn't have to have read it to know that we're in a scary town. And something seems to have affected the residents. And uh, I just, once I found out that that was the link, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So you have your characters dipping into the world of other books, uh, locations, and, and kind of keeping the, the legacy alive that way. Yeah, he does do that a lot with, you know, on the sm- I think that's why, like, some people are like, is Maine even a real place or is it just, just a world that Stephen King made? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, okay, any other examples? outside of the um, Dark Tower series or any of his other books that you see crossovers? Um, I mean, you mentioned Derry um, and there's a couple other uh, books that reference different towns. Uh, like they mention, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Salem's Lot, uh, which was his second book. Uh, and like that is referen- that's referenced a couple times in some of his other books, just as, you know, like neighboring towns in Maine. Uh, actually, one of the characters from Salem's Lot just flat out shows up uh, in like the fifth book, I think, of Dark Tower, and he becomes like he becomes a main character. 
Uh, and that was, and that's another example of just, you know, when I read it, because I didn't read Salem's Lot first. I actually didn't read a lot of Stephen King's books before I read The Dark Tower. I'd only read a few of them. So there were some references that I didn't quite, kind of like you were saying uh, when you were talking about uh, it. Uh, and I, you know, I didn't know who he was when he showed up. His name's Father Callahan. And mm. I didn't know who he was. And I was like, uh, he seems interesting. And and I realized like he, and then he mentioned Salem's Lot. I'm like, wait, isn't that the name of another Stephen King book? And yeah. sure enough, it's the same one. It's the same guy. And that's kind of another example of just, oh, it just made me want to go read that book. Uh, but I also didn't feel like I was missing out uh, when I was reading that current book. It is a, an effective form of marketing. You're marketing your other stuff so that people will continue to read your work. Exactly. I mean, he literally even, I forget which book it is, but he mentions like, there's a character walking by. It's like, oh, a poster for The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> we should all start doing that. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like, hey, uh, that new movie. I think this was even written. Uh, I think this particular book was written in the 80s. So it's, The Shining was fairly new by that point. Well, and when we think back then as well, what's kind of cool is, I mean, we look at today's world and you have so many options, so much choice when it comes to how you want your entertainment. And I remember at least when I was, I'm a, I was born in the eighties, a child in the nineties. And uh, I remember like, if you're a book person, you're a book person, right? And it helps to be able to keep reinforcing or, or marketing other books within the book world. And I could see how that would be effective and, and a useful tool versus here where now you have social media and you can, as an author, just jump on social media and just promote all your other books. You didn't have that back then. It's true. So Stephen King doesn't write horror. He, I know he writes thrillers, but does he write the same type of stuff that he used to write? The horrors, paranormal horror? So I haven't read a lot of his newer stuff, um, but for, from what I understand, most of his newer books are more like mystery thrillers as opposed to horror. Um, I'm sure he's probably dipped his toe in uh, back in that pool a couple times, but uh, he's, I mean, he's, he really has kind of gone uh, all over the place. I mean, I've read a couple different ones, different books that weren't strictly horror, uh and and the dark tower i'm sorry the dark tower itself isn't strictly horror either it's really like a weird mishmash of like horror western sci-fi fantasy because all sorts of stuff shows yeah. up and happens uh, it's very it's very unique uh it was actually a big influence on me with my uh, uh the books i've been working on but uh uh but yeah he's, he's again like I feel like only Stephen King could get away with like going just completely like off key or not off key that doesn't sound right but going going from the horror that he's so famous for and people still associate him as being like this master of horror and then he's just kind of like I'm gonna go write a baseball book and he that's yeah. what he did he wrote a book called Lockheed Billy which I think is just a straight up baseball sports drama interesting have you read the talisman I have not no Okay. So when the books I've read about Stephen King, I always feel, and maybe, I mean, you look at the, um, the tower series and there's very, there's very Western feels to it, right? The idea of going yes. into remote areas and fighting off something and almost a wild, wild West appeal. And the talisman is the story of a boy who I think he's trying to save his mother, um, or do something for his mother. And he's trying to carry something across the West. And the way that he does it is he jumps in and out of it's been a while since I read it, so hopefully I do this justice. He jumps um, into a parallel universe that's kind of supernatural, and he can jump between worlds as he goes. And this other parallel world is has like there's this 
um, at one point he crosses the desert on his train and um, it just has a very Western feel to it. So I can see how Stephen King could have an influence on you because you write uh, Western, is it Western fantasy, Western sci-fi? Uh, sci- uh, like a uh, science fiction Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was a direct influence, uh, especially some of those early, uh, some of the earlier books. I mean, just, I mean, literally Roland, the main character, he specifically based him on like Clint Eastwood from his Western days. Mm, okay. Uh, and, you know, just, and you know, he's called the gunslinger and he's going across a desert. And then later on, there's just all sorts of monsters show up and robots even, and, you know, crazy because he even he even references harry potter at one point really he in a very small way there's these like little uh i forget they're these little like uh weapons i think they call them sneeches and they can like they have like razor they're these little tiny balls with razor blades and if you throw them at someone that like you know cuts them apart and they explode and i think at one point they recover uh they recover one of them and they look at the ball and i think it has the initials like hp on it interesting yeah, okay was, i didn't even know that i know yep they have he has a lot of stuff like that like you know he he does sometimes reference uh other things i think in this at this time he was writing the book it was like uh i don't know this was like the early to mid 2000s he had written that particular scene so that was when like harry potter was like super you know super at its peak gotcha okay uh do you have any other examples of shared universes oh i'm sure i could think of more but i think we've covered uh okay. some of the biggest ones gotcha yeah they, these are these are the massive big ones other ones i could think of um dc universe with specifically the arrowverse that was playing on cw for a while oh, yeah, there was a lot of there are crossover episodes but um you know i think they reference each other throughout the whole thing um we have arrow flash and supergirl and i think there's another show that i i never actually got into i i enjoyed it the first couple of years that those shows are out and then um, I was actually a new mom when Flash came out, and that was something I watched during maternity leave. <laughs> so uh, okay. it was like a perfect, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a perfect time for that. And then, of course, Middle Earth for Lord of the Rings, the the books all associated with that. I've read The Hobbit, and I've read the Lord of the Rings trilogies. There's more than just those. Um, I haven't read them, though, yeah, and I've, I've heard varying reviews. Uh, I, I love The Silmarillion. It's not for everybody. Uh, oh, okay. Really- it doesn't really read like uh, doesn't really read like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. It reads more like a like a history almost. Um, it you know it's really cool if you really love Middle Earth and you really want to know a lot about the mythology of it. It's what it feels more like. It feels a lot like its own mythology akin to like Norse or Greek. Uh, and if you want to know a lot more about that, then it's a great book to read. But it is quite dry how so that that's one of the th- things that i kind of noticed when i w- whenever i would read the uh, the lord of the rings and related books is that it feels like i'm reading and actually game of thrones i have this feeling too i'm reading history books for a fictional world that i don't live in and there's a lot of context within context and i feel like um for someone like me to kind of keep track of it all i have to take a lot of notes do you find that you have to do that too uh not really i don't really uh take notes but i like will maybe like i don't know i'll just open up a tab on my phone to try and uh look something up for later if i want to read more about it uh usually and and then i'll just go down a wikipedia hole or something like that 
Gotcha. Okay. So looking at these shared universes, what makes them so good that, that we like them, that they have legacy and they, they persist with stories for a long time? I really had to think hard about this because uh, some of the initial thoughts I had, uh, there's a lot of things that you can find in these shared universes that we've mentioned that you can find anywhere else. Uh, you can find uh, intricate world building, good characters, great character interactions and all that stuff. You can find those anywhere, not in a shared universe. It's not unique to that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, and I've kind of referenced this a few times already, I think what we love about it is if it's a universe or a series or whatever that we've been, if we get invested in it for a long haul, we enjoy feeling rewarded uh, for sticking to this story, sticking to the universe. Uh, so for example, if you watch, uh, I'm just going to use Marvel again because it's just the easiest example, but if you watch if you were to just go watch the first Avengers movie, just just decided that I'm gonna go watch this movie. Uh, maybe, I'm sure there were some people even when the first came out, it came to the theater. And of course that was the biggest movie at that time. Uh, if they just went to the theater, like I'm gonna go watch it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good superhero movie, but of course you're missing out on character backgrounds, character motivations, references to previous movies. Uh, but if you did watch all those movies, watching the Avengers feels so rewarding because you're seeing characters butting heads, characters that you understand their motivations and where they're coming from, seeing different storylines come together. Yeah. Uh, and it feels kind of, and especially now, now that the now that the movies have come so far since then, you see different references, people showing up, different character arcs coming to different conclusions. And it feels rewarding to, you know, see see these things happen, and especially when they're not always happening, uh, you know, inside and outside, you know, different movies. You know, like someone someone's getting character development or someone's getting a character moment when it's not even their own movie, right? Uh, uh, and it feels, you know, and 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 we're all like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened three movies ago or something like that, uh, and. And, you know, and that's one of the best things you can do is, you know, you know, make your audience actually feel good that their time was well spent. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing what we know about shared universes, looking at the examples and um, what makes effective shared universes effective, why would you as a writer choose to start one or contribute to a shared universe? The contributing part kind of makes me nervous if I'm being... <laughs> If I'm being uh, me too, talker. yeah. I, I, you know, when you said that, I immediately thought of uh, Star Wars, uh, specifically last, you know, when they launched uh, the new continuity, they, they launched like a whole multimedia project. I don't know, like last year, I think it was the, the High Republic, which is set like 200 years before the movies, and they have all these books and comic books, all from these different authors uh and my thought was like man like i'd love to write a star wars book that'd be so cool but then you know i'm like also wait that's so much pressure mm -hmm. uh, you know it's, and i mean i know that they you know i think they they talk in groups about like what they're gonna do and they plan the whole thing together and like certain people have to sign off on things so there's you know you you know you can't go completely haywire someone's gonna check you but you know there's some people that are writing books that are you know 
new characters, uh, which I you know think that's one thing because uh, there's not too much you can, you know, you can't mess anything up. But for people, you know, there's people that are writing books set with the original trilogy characters like Luke and stuff. And I'm just like, God, I could not deal with that kind of pressure because this fandom is unforgiving. Um, but at the same time, you know, if someone's like, hey, do you want to write a Star Wars book? I'm not sure I could say no because Star right. Wars. Yes. Um, well, I thought about Star Wars too, especially when... Um... What, oh, what was the second, why am I blinking on it? It was the second movie in the most recent trilogy. The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. Okay. I remember when people had their opinions about how that one ended and they were acting as if the director and the writers were all running rogue and they just magically put this movie together without any, without consulting anybody and they just do whatever they want. And how could they? It's all their one individual person's fault. And I was like, there is a whole process of oversight when you work with these giant studios that you, it, I mean, it, okay, you, I guess you can have a scapegoat and maybe they even set it up to create a scapegoat, but it's not just the work of one person making these decisions. No, not at all. Uh, and I mean, I, I think, I mean, that's just, that's just what they like to do is they, they want to be able, if they hate something, they want to be able to find out who, like who messed it up. And because, because Ryan Johnson was the writer and director of, I don't know if anyone else has screenwriting credits. Although I will say, uh, Carrie Fisher, like on set, would make some revisions to the script. I don't know how to what extent she did, if it was mm -hmm. anything outside of her own scenes. But Carrie Fisher, uh, Carrie Fisher was actually a very renowned script doctor in Hollywood. She did a lot of different uh, work on different uh, scripts and. Uh, you know, she was doing some work on it during the movie, telling Ryan Johnson, hey, you know, like, I think we should do this. Uh, yeah. Well, and I imagine if something like that happens too, there's got to be some sort of, like, you know, you have dailies and you have this whole process that that would have to go through, well, yeah. I, would, I would assume. Uh, a good example of that exactly was during the, uh, the, the filming for the Han Solo movie. Uh, which originally was being helmed by, I don't remember their names, but they did the Lego movie, uh, the, the pair of guys that did the Lego movie. And they were directing it and writing it. And they went and took a look at the uh, the dailies and at the footage they had so far. And the the producers weren't happy with it and they didn't like what mm -hmm. was going on. And that's when they you know, gave those guys the boot brought Ron Howard in, did some rewrites, and then they had the movie. So, you know, someone someone is looking at something. Yeah, absolutely. And I had um, I had my own experience with, you and I have talked about this, I think, briefly. I was, uh, last year I was writing for a, uh, a media company, and this is how the process worked for me. And I imagine it was just one little angle of the, how the process works in studios and movies and across the entire industry. So I was, they looked at my writing samples and they knew what I could do as a writer. Then they identified me as a potential candidate to write a specific story. They then gave me the completely fleshed out synopsis, beginning, middle, end. And they said, we want to see if you can make this. Actually, there wasn't an ending, but they wanted the point. Like, you know what I mean? Like what the goal of the story, that was, that was written down. So then I had to write a five page sample pulling from a scene of my choice within that synopsis to show them, do I have a good grasp of the character? Do I understand the chemistry? All those things. And it was like, they're like, it's up to you, Vicki, you pick what you think would be best. And I was like, oh my God. So I was able to talk to my agent and get some guidance. Like, what are my strengths? How can I show that? 
And they ultimately liked it and accepted me as a writer. And so then, then I had to put together first the, they call them story Bibles. And it's supposed to show uh, over like an arc of, I forget, I'm forgetting now, like maybe six or eight episodes, what happens in every single episode. You also have to draft out what every single character looks like and not, not looks like, but um, their arcs. So how did they start? What are their, what are their conflicts? How do they resolve, right? For each and every single one of them. Then they look over it and they go, okay, we either like or don't like what you've just done with the synopsis we gave you and they'll give you notes and then you have a chance to fix it. And then when that is kind of like, all right, you're on the right track now, write Episode one. And I would write episode one and they look at it and they go, uh, we don't like how this went, fix it. I'm like, okay. And then I went and fixed it as best as I could, gave it back. And they're like, we've decided to change direction. This is where we want this to go. Now we expect this, 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 and that. And many times you wish that they could have told you that earlier in the process, but they're going through the same discovery you are. And it's, it is a lot of back and forth. And, uh, I, at least the level, little old me, the little level that I'm working at, uh, you definitely have to like, okay, follow the vision. You are part of a team and it's very hard to just go and do what you want. Unless of course, maybe you're Stephen King and you, you have more of that pull. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I do remember when you were uh, working on that and, you know, you talked about the, uh, what is it, the Bible, the show Bible or whatever it was uh, and how it was such a, such a different process. And I can only imagine, and especially for someone like me, like I, I'm, I'm not a huge outliner at all. So the idea of having to have all of that, you know, all the character stuff and arcs planned out ahead of time, you know, across six episodes or whatever, like that's extremely daunting. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, that is the other side of it, you know, like apart from, you know, worrying about, you know, your own ability or the reception of the audience, uh, it can be tough when you're working on a team that has to, you know, if it's a whole large project involving a lot of different people and someone has to sign off on it because you don't have complete and total creative freedom most of the time if you're working with some kind of shared property uh, and, you know, and it, and it is a bump and, you know, it happens all the time. Uh, you know, like what, what I just mentioned with, uh, solo or when, uh, you know, people bring ideas to the table and, and sometimes you hear about these projects that get announced, uh, and then you're like, oh, that's cool. And then they, they just don't happen or the director leaves or something like that because of creative differences. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, that is, that is the unfortunate that is the other side of having a shared universe, you know, and any or any you know, any kind of time you're working with a large team on a project where they just might not want to go forward with it, which yeah, it might not mean that your story is bad necessarily. They just don't think it fits. Uh, yeah, doesn't make feel any better, but <laughs> yeah. And after going through that process, I can now see it in certain stories and movies, uh, especially franchises. I, 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 it's, I'm like, I can, I can almost picture, I can hear the voice in my head of a studio person going, this needs to happen in this episode because of X, Y, Z, you know, especially if it kind of feels really clean and really tight. Um, a lot of like the, the editing notes will come to me. I'm like, okay, I see an example of this here. Uh, one, one downside I, I feel is when Oh, the, the last, is it the, uh, the last, no, 
What is the last <laughs> memory is terrible. What is the last movie of the most recent sequel called? This uh, the Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I definitely see and could feel the product of a lot of confused people coming together and trying to duke it out on what that end story should have been. Simply because when you look at like the typical story arcs that your story is expected to follow if done well, um, I saw a lot of like new input right? And new conveniences kind of throw in, thrown in. And I'm like, oh, I feel the studio influence watching this movie. Did you feel that? Yeah, yeah I could feel that too, which, you know, there's, there's, there were like a lot of things that I did like about Rise of Skywalker. Uh, but I did, especially, come, especially being someone that I loved Last Jedi. I loved what they did with it. Me too. Uh, but I could definitely see they were kind of, uh, trying to felt like they were trying to course correct on a couple different things yeah please everybody or respond to public sentiment it's it's so strange because i feel like uh this is a fairly i don't know if i'd say recent uh because you know fan input has been going on a long time when it comes to these movies but uh you know, when they chronicle the process and the behind the scenes of a lot of this stuff i mean i think they mentioned i don't remember when they talked about this but that they didn't have like a full uh they didn't have a decisive storyline for the sequel trilogy like they weren't necessarily uh they weren't strictly sure about like which direction they were gonna go in i think they just started with the first movie i think they were gonna try and see like okay can this first movie even be a success yeah before they you know before they went to try and do everything which i don't necessarily think that's a huge problem but because uh because of the direction that ryan johnson went in that was so controversial for people they were kind of like well we can't uh like you know we got to find a way to make this work and of course there was the i mean they already had the pressure of it being you know quote unquote the you know the conclusion to the saga and like that was that would have been enough pressure regardless of the reception of the previous film it wouldn't have mattered and they were never going to make it a perfect ending because that's just too much pressure. And, you know, there are too many people have too many opinions, so it wouldn't have worked. But I could see it as I was watching, you know, some of the things they did. It felt like a bit of a response to the response, uh, you know, which, you know, it, you know it, it is a little weird when you can actually see the making of the movie behind the movie. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is we look at examples, and this is kind of segueing into our my next question, which is ineffective. Uh, what are examples of ineffective shared universes? But when I'm comparing the pressure of Star Wars to like Marvel, for example, Marvel is working off of, they have a fandom. They have a very passionate fandom. And not only that, but there's already literature where all these characters are coming from that have already told their story. Yet in the MCU videos or movies, they're able to play with their own material in a way that I feel is really well received compared to the expectations from the Star Wars fandom and how um, you actually can feel uh, whether or not the fandom likes it or not in how they're treating their movies. Do you see the same thing? Do you see the comparison? Do you know why it kind of feels different between the two? I mean, that's a good point, uh, because there are a lot of people that go into the comic book. I mean, you know, anytime they make a new, if they're making a new Star Wars movie uh, and it's not 
I mean, so like something like Rogue One and The Mandalorian, you know, these are original characters uh, that are not, you know, that aren't found anywhere else, uh, you know, that it's focused on, as opposed to if Marvel says like, oh, we're going to make a Venom movie. It's like, you know, it's like everyone who's a comic book fan, who's a fan of Spider-Man knows who Venom is. And so instantly, uh, you know, they're just like, oh yeah, Venom. So obviously you got people interested right away, as opposed to, you know, Star Wars has no other material to base on unless they're pulling from something else like kind of like we mentioned if they're Mm -hmm. pulling characters from the different animated shows and putting them in there but that's not quite it's not quite the same as you know when they had stuff like i don't know uh i mean you have the origin stories for these superheroes you have storylines like civil war you have uh stuff like the infinity saga i mean and you even have the fact that there were you have the fact that for some of these characters like Spider-Man, that there are already movies uh, based mm-hmm. on them at a time. Uh, and so there's, and sometimes I think they, I think sometimes when uh, they make these movies about these characters, they sort of rely uh, on people's understanding of the character ahead of time, which you don't really have with, uh, which you don't always have with, Star Wars, uh, I mean, you might have that. I mean, you know, Obi-Wan is different because obviously we've seen Obi-Wan. It's a continuation of his story. But if they're going to go make, uh, I don't know, uh, but when they made The Mandalorian, it's like, we don't, we don't we don't have anything to base The Mandalorian off of other than we there's we know something about uh, we know like Boba Fett and that he had Mandalorian armor and that his father was Mandalorian and all that stuff. But we didn't know who Mando was it was completely new but if you have actually a great example like this is the new Batman movie Mm -hmm. uh, which I feel like a lot of that you know it's very aware the fact that there have been a lot of different Batman movies before this one it's like okay what are we doing this time around Uh, and you know they kind of have to make that movie knowing that people know so much about this character already I see. So it's it's almost like when you're building off of pre-existing materials, there seems to be more flexibility as far as how much you can play and change with it. Whereas with Star Wars, you're kind of building new and you have a, such a passionate audience that really care about what legacy you're building. And yeah. it, they can really like establish whether or not you did it well or not. Yeah. And I think that uh, some people might get mad with... Uh, if they change certain things about certain characters uh, for comic book adaptations. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of times that might be just a product of making that character or storyline work within the context of that particular universe. It's a little bit like when uh, you do a, a, if a movie adaptation of a book changes things, uh, but it's not necessarily, it's because in adaptations, you have to change some things because some things just don't translate directly from one medium to the other. Um, so I think most of the time people are a little more forgiving. Uh, and I mean, you know, people will complain about some things like, I don't know, like when, like in the in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies where he didn't have web shooters uh, that mm. he made, the webs actually came out of him. <laughs> uh, and people were annoyed about that because like, that's not how it works. But I mean, obviously, you know, we don't remember that because the movie was so good. So, yeah. you know, people didn't care about that. Uh, but, you know, I don't think they get hung up quite as bad nowadays considering the quality of the material. 
Well, and it seems like public sentiment can shift so easily, especially with um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I think people had opinions about his movies and uh, now he's like a huge favorite from the the most recent movie, No Way Home, because he just, you know, he has an earnestness to his character and it was almost like a redemption for him. Yeah, exactly. What are some examples of shared universes that just don't work and why? So you mentioned this in uh, when you when you sent me the uh, questions uh, for this session, and I was so glad you did because I was already thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the uh, the dark universe the failed dark universe, uh, the dark universe from uh, Universal? Uh, and I was just really glad you mentioned that because I think this is probably the most prominent example, and it kind of highlights one of the issues with. Uh, shared universes especially today when i feel like it's such a big it's so much more commonplace now but you know not all universes are created equal uh for anyone who isn't aware this is the universe uh that universal tried to kickstart uh with they tried to do it with a movie called uh dracula untold starring luke evans and then that didn't do well and they said okay that one didn't count and then they made uh the mummy reboot with tom cruise and that was also Really bad. Oh, uh, that was the worst. I first of all, I didn't know that Dracula Untold was part of it. I just watched it a couple of weeks ago on HBO or something. And when the Mummy came out with Tom Cruise, I remember thinking, because I didn't understand the context of what they were doing, I was like, "This is an insult to Brendan Fraser." <laughs> like I just couldn't oh, get no. over that. I know. I remember uh, someone was like, "The Mummy should have just been like modern day," but someone opens up a sarcophagus and Brendan Fraser comes out and he's just like, "I told him not to put me in there." <laughs> Uh, awesome. But uh, yeah, but yeah, and then that movie in particular, what they tried to do, you know, because you know, I don't remember if Dracula Untold had actually had any references to a larger universe. I just know that they were trying to treat it like they're Iron Man, and it's like, okay, uh, Dracula is a very classic character. Let's just start with that, and that that just didn't do well. And then in the Mummy, they had uh, Russell Crowe show up as Doctor Jekyll slash Mister Hyde, and he had this whole organization about supernatural threats and i don't remember if they referenced anything else in that but like the, it was just it was very obvious they were basically trying to like just jump start this great big mm-hmm. universe they were riding on marvel's coattails like like so many other studios uh and it just you know for for multiple reasons the movie did not work uh and then they kind of like backed off on this emphasis of a shared universe uh how embarrassing. Can you imagine? You're like pushing the idea and then you're like, never mind on such a global scale. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I feel like DC kind of did that too. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I liked, uh, I liked, I'm one, I'm in the minority where I liked Batman v Superman. Uh, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but I liked it. And I liked uh, not the Justice League that came out in theaters, but the Zack Snyder Justice League. I liked that. But mm-hmm. I think that they were wise when they were like, you know, like maybe we don't need to do exactly what Marvel does, which is why we have stuff like uh, the new Batman movie, which is not connected to that continuity. And uh, I don't know what else they got working on or whatever, but I think they might have, I think they, Warner Brothers realized maybe we should just focus on individual stories and we can, if they want to do references to other things, then we can do that, which, you know, I think that, you know, we, not everyone needs to be Marvel, right. which is what they want to do. And, and I, I picked up on that too, where I'm like, why? Because immediately 
it makes me question the integrity of the storytelling when it feels like they're just kind of competing with a different franchise. And yeah. I, yeah, I remember when they were doing that, I was like, come on, like, you know, we, when, if there's going to be something new that you're bringing to the table, I would love to be surprised um, and, you know, presented with, with a fresh idea. I think one example, I haven't asked your opinion on this, so I'm kind of wondering what you think about this. Um, the Matrix Resurrections, have you seen it? I have not. Okay. Sorry. I hate it. I hate it. hate it. Okay. I have not I heard it. great things about it. I was insulted. Like I, okay. Oh. I loved the matrix, the trilogies. You know, I, I started, I watched them. I was one of those kids that watched it over and over and over and over again and um, loved Neo and the story. And I never wore a black trench coat to school, but I could have, you know, I, it was <laughs> that level in which I loved these stories. I played the video games, all those things. And when the matrix resurrections came out, I was like, cool, uh, kind of weird, but okay. You know, and at this point, like Keanu looked like his John Wick character in it. And I was like, I hope they're trying, you know, because <laughs> I, I didn't know how much of this was just a publicity thing. And what I found out was, I guess, WB, it was pushing for this movie to be made. And they even told Laura Wachowski that they're going to make this movie, whether she was a part of it or not. So she decided to be a part of it. And that, that push and pull got incorporated into the storyline. And so at some point, Keanu is in the Matrix again, and he is a video game designer, and he's being forced to make a sequel he doesn't want to make. So there's like meta things to it. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's never good. <laughs> right. And the first half of the movie is them just regurgitating the original movie. And then the second half of the movie is just repeating it. Like it's just rhyming what, what it was before. And um, I was sitting there and I was like okay point made Laura like this shouldn't have been made and you did what you could with it and um you know things should not be forced to be made just because uh but I I, I kind of wished I don't know if it could have been done differently I have no idea especially when the creator herself didn't want to do it you know um but even like the technology of bullet time right that was a revolutionary thing in movies and influenced so many for years um, and so I was like, okay, I wonder what they're going to bring here. And what they brought instead almost looked like this hazy overlapping glitchy effect. And I was, I don't know. I, I think I watched it. I didn't watch it in theaters. I don't even remember if it was released in theaters. I watched it on HBO and, um, I was like, just my childhood died a little. And I told myself, I'm going to pretend this movie doesn't exist until of course I get to talk about it with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you got to dig it out. You just got to dig that grave up and bring it out at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Do, you have any, do you have any other failed examples? Um, I'm not a failed example, but uh, I, I wanted to mention before uh, the funny thing about the Universal uh, movies is that Universal was almost is actually one of the oldest oldest examples of a shared universe. Because way back in like the 1930s and 40s, when they were making, you know, they made the uh, like the Boris Karloff Frankenstein movies and the uh, like the Bela Lugosi drag, uh, Dracula that are like, you know, so, that established so many uh, motifs, those characters, they had movies. Like, I think the first one was uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which was like mm -hmm. 1943. That's a crossover. And then they had these other movies that came afterward called like House of Dracula. And that just, you know, the, I looked at the movie posters and it's like, Dracula, 
Frankenstein, Wolfman, Mo like slapped on there. And it's like, that's like, that is a shared universe. And like, they, and you know, it's kind of funny that the reviews for those movies were apparently terrible. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how specifically Frankenstein the Wolfman was, but I know that when they started doing the movies where they were packing like, you know, five of these guys in there, people were just kind of like, this is, and, and of course, we're talking about 19. 40s where it's like you know of course people would probably scoff at that sort of stuff we might watch it today and think it's great retrospectively but it's just kind of funny that i just thought it was funny that universal kind of was one of the first uh studios to try this sort of thing and then they kind of tried to do it again and like it failed even harder oh my gosh yeah well yeah so then when you talk about shared universes that fail the point of failure seems to be trying to force something. Well, I mean, I guess you can argue from a studio perspective, everything gets forced, right? Once they decide they're going to do something, okay, let's get the creatives together to make this work. Sure. But something is preventing the creative from taking it to the next step. And I don't know if it's an overbearing studio um, that isn't allowing that freedom. The, uh, you know, how you and I talk about that, that almost pressure, if there's too much of it, and it prevents the art from being able to really let loose. Yeah, I mean, I think that it really is just the fact that they put the shared universe as a, a selling point right off the bat. And the studio just, you know, they see Marvel and they're like, we want to do that. We want to make those big bucks. And so they sort of start jumping the gun. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's just like when they when they make these huge, I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, I I'm going like out of medium here, but did you ever, are you familiar with a video game called uh, No Man's Sky? I've heard of it, but I haven't played it. Yeah. Like, uh, so, you know, way back when it was first announced, like there was basically, they were talking about all this stuff the game was going to have, all this game that was going to be. And then when it came out, it was a little bit underwhelming and did not include a lot of that stuff. Oh. Since then, but that's not the point. But the point is like, they were making all these promises and kind of the same, you know, they were trying to sell it on these promises. And the kind of the same thing with like these movies, it's like, oh, we're going to have Dracula and the mummy and Dr. Jekyll, and we're going to have all this stuff. And then, you know, it's just like, okay, but that movie sucked. Like, so why do I want to stick around? Although they did, you know, The Invisible Man uh, was supposed to be part of that universe. And obviously there's nothing, nothing in that movie references anything to do with the mummy or anything like that or any other uh, monster. And it's a, it's actually, and it's also very different because it's actually good. Oh, well, that makes me feel like there's a lot of, fighting you know what i mean like there's got to be a lot of influences coming from different places that yeah. prevent a like series or at least some sort of consistency across the board you know what i actually did just i did just remember another failed shared universe that they tried to do uh do you remember the king arthur movie with charlie hunnam yes yep that was supposed to be a thing where they did like they were gonna try and do a like knights of the round table thing where it's like they uh they were going to do an avengers style thing where it's like oh this movie is about king arthur and then they were going to do like one about lancelot and then one about i don't know galahad and they were going to make the knights of the round table and of course the and that never really went anywhere. is that the king arthur that was guy ritchie's yep that was okay that one. They were i tried watching it it was a dreary setting i remember thinking who wants to live in this world it seems brutal it's a very strange because they to their credit, they don't do too much in terms of trying to sell you the universe early. Uh, like they reference some other thing. Like I don't like Merlin's not in that 
movie, but they like reference him, I guess, and they reference you know a couple other things but like there's there's it's not like the universal movies where they had all these cameos or whatever or references but they just were like yeah it's king arthur's story being redone in this flashy style you know and i mean i think it's a fun but stupid movie it's not really <laughs> great movie. like my, my wife absolutely loves it uh mm. even though it's you know objectively not that great but uh i think charlie hunt was just kind of the reason but uh, yeah, they were going to do a whole thing about it and then it just fell apart. I think the issue with King Arthur was a little bit like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like if Iron Man had just tanked where it's like, you know, it's based on pre-existing material. I mean, there have been so many King Arthur stories uh, and, you know, it's just like, we're doing this new one and people are just kind of like, all right, go in. I've seen, you know, I know it was supposed to happen. So show me something that makes it worth my time and it wasn't oh well you know though sometimes you need to have those stupid movies every now yeah, and then yeah, you know no it's a fun it's a fun uh, stupid movie watch so knowing what we know now about good shared universes bad shared universes what is your one takeaway as a writer whether or not you want to contribute to um the you know writing part of one starting one or just what your knowledge of the writing world what what's our major takeaways how can we make a good shared universe um, I mean, really, I, I, I want to go back to like, feeling like you're rewarding your reader, but also, you know, because, you know, that's a good way to just make people stick to your books and feel good when they read them and they realize, recognize something from a different story. But um, for yourself as an author, like, you know, I say, it, you know, if you want to write a lot of different stories, like, you know, take the time to be creative about it. Try, try new things. And, you know, it, you know, assuming you're not writing for a studio and you have a little more creative control, you know, you know, trying a lot of different things, uh, you know, and not, you know, forcing yourself to necessarily feel like, oh, this has to connect to that, you know, you know, don't, you know, don't look at, don't try to necessarily do, look at what someone else is doing, but, you know, just like, you know, think of different ways. Uh, if you want to connect your works, you know, think of how you want to do it, you know, and realize you don't necessarily have to have it all planned out beforehand and like you know i i've like i've thought a lot about uh you know if i wanted to do something like that and i you know i don't want to go too into that uh we don't have the time anyway but uh you know i like the idea of having stories that are uh kind of like i mentioned with the brandon sanderson books having stories that are pretty far removed from each other but maybe have these little connections here and there just so i can just so I can look at it and say like, yeah, like this is, this is my own little world that I've, that I've created and, you know, and I, and I can be happy about it. And, you know, and who knows what you can, what you can get from that. You know, it's like your own little sandbox that you can play with and draw from this large creative pool. It's like with Stephen King, where it's like, he just has all these other books he can pull from and he can just make it happen. He'd be like, yeah, if I want to reference it, or if I want to reference the, I don't know, the stand, like I can make that happen because I can pull uh, from my own creative pool uh, yeah, just, and to let yourself have try and have fun with it speculative sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on tiktok instagram and twitter interested in being in a future episode our dms are open or you can email speculative sandbox at gmail.com Thank you.